Hi, everyone. Welcome along. Uh, it's Jonathan Corrie from Precursive once again on our podcast from a very hot and sunny day in London in the middle of a heat wave. Um, I'm glad to be joined by uh, a, an old friend of mine, uh, Guy Marsh. Say hi, Guy. Hello, all. <laughs> um, thanks for taking the time to, to join us, Guy. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your, your current role, if you don't mind, to begin with. Yeah, sure, no problem. So I've been working in resource management for about 12 years now. Um, started off at Hewlett-Packard, uh, very, very much a role which didn't exist. So I had to kind of make my own way as, as we went along. I think it's an interesting uh, dynamic which has evolved over time where people didn't really understand it. Yeah. And now has become an integral part of the business, which is supported by obviously technology such as, as yours, Jonathan, Precursive. Um, so, yeah, was at HP for, for five years um, and progressed up from UK and I resource manager up to EMEA and then worldwide. Then moved on to Vodafone, um, embedded a similar thing that I did at HP, which is the fundamental practice of resource management. And again, started UK and then spread that out to worldwide covering their core hub locations. Then I took a, a little turn into the consultant arena um, and I really wanted to get more uh, exposure to different areas. So rather than big uh, blue chip corporates, I wanted to see how this could be um, kind of embedded in a different environment. And so I worked for some, some tech startups as well as the legal sector, which was uh, very, very different in terms of the way that they operate. For a little anecdote with that is that uh, I asked them to fill out a skills capability matrix to, to all the lawyers um, in the firm. I won't mention the firm's name. Yeah. Um, so it was just a very basic uh, Excel spreadsheet for them to fill out and, and send back to me. Yeah. Out of 120, probably about 30 of them, filled it out in pen, gave it to their PA who took a photo and then sent it back to me on a picture on email. So that gives you probably a bit of insight into the different mindsets and different <laughs> organizations that I work with. So very, very different from the, the more sort of technical one, which where I'm at now, which is Shell. And uh, they're very, very switched on. I'm working there, obviously, their IT department, the part yeah. of business called IT Engineering. So I had quite a varied experience in resource management from its kind of origins 12 years ago to now. So I've seen the, the various changes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shell being uh, one of, obviously, the world's largest companies, but also one of the largest IT organizations in the world. I didn't tell you. Yeah. In my old days back at CEB, what is now Gartner, I was working with, with Shell uh, and, and their IT team. So I think at the time it was a five billion uh, pound budget or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's around that now as well. Oh, it's it? um, okay. taking a little bit of a hit from COVID. They slashed it a little bit the last few months, but um, yeah. it's still significant. And I didn't know myself. I joined in January. Yeah. I wasn't fully aware of the scale of it uh, until being yeah. part of the business obviously i've worked for some big companies before but but shell is a behemoth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's enormous brilliant yeah. thanks ever so much so we're all living in uh well working and living in a, in a very very different world uh obviously i'm in my office that's getting hotter you've got your very it's a lovely lovely pharaoh and ball-esque background you've got there mate yeah yeah it's uh yeah the elephant picture is really nice uh, well my uh my partner her mother before it went bust worked in laura ashley so it's pretty much head to <laughs> floor to the ceiling laura ashley's house <laughs> uh yeah so, there we are 
we, we we talk about i mean on, on on this this show we talk a lot about the the, the new remote reality so tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about how you guys at shell and you and your team have adapted to this this changing environment well i think it's probably been slightly less impactful than it would have done um, perhaps in other businesses that i've worked for but predominantly because uh, the team that works under me is split across four locations so uh, India, the Netherlands and Houston. So we're all used to working quite remotely, but I think those individual groups are very much used to working together in their, their hub offices. So whereas before, um, at least there was some interaction, um, now it's been obviously very, very difficult because we as a, as a group um, have only formed the part of the business that I'm part of which is enterprise resource management at January so people hadn't really had a chance to get to know each other that well until um, obviously the implications of, of coronavirus hit mm -hmm. so just as teams were bonding uh, and forming relationships and able to kind of share knowledge uh, I think that's been the key notable impact is that we've had to utilize things like teams to make sure that the learning space where we can all exchange ideas uh, and share you know learnings and experiences that we've had and I think there needs to be, there has been a conscious effort to actually do some sort of semi-social stuff where possible you know I think everyone lived and done about 20 quizzes during the height of uh, corona and obviously we, we tried to incorporate a few things like that um, just to make sure the team felt connected so I think from a team management perspective that's been, that's been challenging yeah okay but also I think it's brought on you know you kind of learn a lot about individuals and how they cope with adversity. And I think that's, that's been really useful experience. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more, you all, you almost get a lot more insight into people's lives. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think a lot of, uh, a lot of your peers and a lot of the people that we work with, they're trying to separate out those conversations that, that they're having around, you know, business stuff. And then just like personal stuff of like, are you okay? You know, <laughs> Are you yeah. happy? Sure. Are you, because you know, all, all, a lot of the time, people are just you know, all, all they've got to do is work, right? They can get up in the morning and start work and not stop until they go to bed. So, yeah, that that's I think yeah. That's a lot of people. Have I to think do. there's been a conscious effort from someone like Shell and I'm sure other employers as well, is to kind of understand the the mental health implications as well, especially you know at the height of pandemic where we haven't been able to really leave the house for much more than you know a walk once a day mm -hmm. and the impact that that has and people's different kind of situations some people don't have um yeah for those listening and not are not watching that was a guy's partner crawling through the hallway and is and your new baby who's how old now how old so the nursery is, is just there ah, um, okay. and obviously this is what we're doing this is a makeshift study that used to be the study obviously it's <laughs> a higher need now um, so just moved it along to our we have a very long hallway before we go up to the top so yeah so as we're saying about working from home I think everybody's got different situations um, some people are stuck inside the whole time other people have got kids you know my partner's also working so it was really challenging in that we couldn't she was working part-time but it's still three days a week and there's no nursery so it's trying to juggle uh, you know a meeting pressing priorities adjusting to that working later working earlier one yeah. great thing is there's no commute but i think one of the key things that we've taken from it is the need to kind of check in on people make sure they're all right but also the reliance on technology you realize quite how mobile we are and fluid we are in terms of location that it doesn't we don't 
we aren't chained by the traditional sense of being in an office nine till five mm. and are more, much more adaptable now. And I think that's probably one of the best things that's come out of it. Um, I'm yeah. going to be trying to push that, um, you know, more and more where possible that we're not restricted in that way. So it's mm. good. It's really encouraging. Okay. So if, if we, if we move into sort of more like a deeper view of like the resource management area to, to begin with, I mean, I want to come back to like how the dynamics of like the, the staff yeah, sure. has changed, but maybe if we just start with like a resource management 101. So like for, for, for those that, that perhaps don't do this uh, in their businesses right now and are seeing some capacity issues, to, explain to us what, what, what is resource management? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very simple in concept. It's quite basically the, the demand that you have versus the, capability of your resources your people versus the availability now those are the the three key components and you can't have one without the other you need to know what's coming in you need to know who can do that and you need to know when they can do that so i think where traditionally that has been done um, at a kind of siloed level small teams and they would manage it um, now it's done on a lot more of a broader scale in which we are heavily reliant on technology to get that, that wholesale view of what's happening. And then that's linked to, to cost and profitability. And, you know, from the, the kind of board level, executive level down, they need to understand what the demand means. If there's a change in that demand, what's the, the what if factors? How would they cope? What would they need to do? Because obviously that then has an impact on recruitment, on training, on upskilling. So resource management really is like the, the key kind of nerve center for being able to decide what you need, how you need and what you need to do. So it's, it's, that, it's that fundamental source of information that allows you to make intelligent decisions and in essence, get the most effective use out of your, your, your workforce, your, your, your staff in essence. Okay. So those are the, the kind of basic guiding principles around it. Yeah, it, it, it sounds easy. It's very, very difficult yeah. to achieve, as, as, as we both know. Theoretically, it is very, very basic. And, but once you scale up and once you include different time zones, uh, once you include uh, specific restrictions with, with government projects, you know, certain clearances, etc., it, yeah. it's it becomes a very, very, uh, uh, something that you easily track, get out of hand if you don't have the right systems and processes in place to underpin it. Yeah, yeah. Well, hence, hence why we're we're in business and we uh, yeah together before, right? So, um, <laughs> but you talked a little bit about those some of those key areas of it of demand and supply and availability. Um, let's just like unpack some of these key components a little bit more, right? So, so okay. what what kind of separates kind of like good from great? resourcing teams or frankly bad from <laughs> bad from good teams. yeah <laughs> well, let's take it from the first one yeah and then so let's say demand so yeah. i think the key for demand or you know in essence what you're selling uh, yeah. is is understanding a degree of predictability about it so if you as a business know that your run rate on say certain products is you sell is you convert eight out of ten of those prospective deals into you know, get them over the line in a certain area, then you can start planning for that in terms of your resources. You know that I will need largely X amount of project managers, et cetera. Balance that out against what you currently have uh, and then make decisions uh, accordingly. So the key for demand is getting a early snapshot of it. So forward looking, the, the, the longer term, the better, because the more time you've got to execute and plan accordingly. So I think 
that is a, a crucial part. Now, what also happens and what was a scenario that I faced when I was at Vodafone is you had demand come in from six, seven, eight different nine channels because Vodafone is a business that is largely based on acquisition all yep. using different systems. So not used to being an integrated view. So having one and the project we've done there, one single interface um, and the project was called single front door. So the one funnel where all demand goes is so you're capturing everything because again, not having that complete view, making plans on the assumption that you do, and then two or three big deals come in out of nowhere, then that puts all your planning um, out the window, or, or at least has a significant impact on it. So a single interface, I would say for demand is key, as well as, uh, as a clear idea of what your success rate is for winning deals, yeah. and also then a clear view in terms of as long as you can in terms of projected timelines, get that forward look as to when it's happening so yeah. i appreciate as well that with sales there's a degree of unpredictability but yeah. i think if you can get uh at the moment in shell there's a there's an acceptance that with some of the areas if we move that to at least sort of 50 60 percent that's yeah. acceptable you know you're never going to get 100 but if you you work within the parameters of the areas which you are and define what a degree of success is then you kind of move back from there and if the improvements can be made um, and yeah. further refined but i think it's important to have a have a base level as to where to strive to in terms of that predictability so yeah. that you can again when you're looking at what your your availability is in terms of resources versus your demand you know roughly what the margin of error is and can make calculated yeah. assessments yeah, I, I, I think the I think that's very interesting. One follow up question would be talk about the lead time, right? Planning as far ahead in advance. Is there any in your experience ratio between or things for people to think about between? So, for example, between the the lead time and the and the sort of the complexity of the work or anything like that. So, for example, you know, if you're delivering X type of work, you want to be planning for that. X weeks or months in advance. Have you ever thought about that or looked at that? Yes, I think it's I think it's industry dependent. Truthfully, I don't think there's a one size fits all. Um, yeah. So I think with the legal sector, it's um, it's a very active. It's very difficult to predict. So, for example, a number of people could be working towards being assigned a litigation uh, piece of work that would involve maybe twenty resources to to start working from the moment the client says go. But quite often um, that will be settled prior to, to getting to that place. So it's a very difficult scenario to have to sort of soft book people, which is a large team for a period of time, which are almost going to be a year, two years working on, on that, that case to suddenly you've got a new problem in that you've got a surplus of resources available. And in the legal sector, obviously, they're, they're the high uh, overhead cost for them, burning cash. So you then suddenly need to rehome them. And one of the challenges again with that is that in their minds, they've all got a very clear career trajectory and all want to work on specific cases mm -hmm. and to sort of be scrabbling around to, to find them something else to do that is both profitable to the business, that isn't gonna commit them for two years of their career and that the, um, the associate partners are happy to take them on, which might not be their area of expertise, that, that's a challenge in itself. So those sudden um, sort of curveballs shall we say or changes of anticipated uh, demand have kind of 
impact both on the, the business's profitability and the individuals. Because when we're talking about resources, I think quite often it's forgotten. We're, we're actually discussing human beings who have got careers, who've got lives, who, you know, it might be, especially in a consultant environment, someone would have been working in, say, South London, where they were pretty close to the, where they live. And now it's changed, that project's cancelled or, or something hasn't, you know, it hasn't got signed over the line. And now they're working in Nutsford for Barclays Bank, you know, and yeah. it's a, a huge impact on their lifestyle. They could have kids. And I think that's something which, again, sometimes gets lost in the, in the myriad of data when we analyse. And it's important yeah. to kind of retain that human element um, yeah. and understand that. I think that's changing, right? I, I, I mm -hmm. certainly think, you know, since when since you and I worked together previously and, and really I would imagine over the over the over the years in your career you've seen that evolution where the human element is becoming much more important to, to companies yeah um, and in theory at least yeah <laughs> absolutely I mean this leads us on to like what makes a good resource manager because a lot of the time it sounds like in your experience in your in your role you're as much kind of, you know, managing the expectations and engaging with people and communicating with people and, and getting them bought in. So, so it's, it sounds like there's quite a broad range of skills that's needed. What, what types of things make a good resource manager? So I think I'll talk about myself here uh, in the first place, but I think um, reason I've sustained a career in resource management is I think it's being able to empathize because resource management is, is like spinning plates. You have to keep them going around mm -hmm. and you've got competing uh, interests a lot of the time. So I think being able to empathize, understand that when a project manager is, is sometimes forcefully demanding a resource of a certain ilk, you've got to understand a, what the, what the driving factors are uh, from him as an individual. Is his project over budget? Is he really tight on timelines? Has he, you know, got a very demanding client? So it's yeah. been able to both understand their needs, empathize, but also be able to deliver bad news that isn't always the outcome that they want, but with an alternative. So I think it's broken down into three key areas. So I think stakeholder engagement is absolutely key because you're the interface between the resource and the demand owner. So you need to be able to manage both the demand owner's expectations, also be able to empathize in what the urgency is for them, what the pressures they are under and the challenges they're facing. Some clients are particularly difficult to work with. And I think having that awareness of also what the project is delivering arms you with enough information to, to make an educated kind of, I suppose guess is the wrong word, but uh, an educated assessment as to how best to deal with a situation because every project manager or program manager thinks their, their project is the most important. So being able to um, process all the information, uh, look at the data and make uh, an informed decision as to what is the most pressing priority and has the, uh, is the most uh, overall beneficial decision for the business is key. So stakeholder management key, uh, being able to, to process and assess individual information quickly uh, mm -hmm. and also being able to analyze data, I think, are, are the three components. So you've got your, your kind of instinct, your, your human element, um, where, you, where you have to deal with the stakeholders. You need to underpin what your instincts are by using supporting data. And you need to be able to, I think, be quite thick-skinned and robust in the way that you work at times whilst also being flexible to, to change in demand there are processes then we all should strive to follow them but at times we can't be a slave to them they need to be bended slightly to make sure that we're we're focusing on outcomes 
uh, and aren't just a, a computer says no sort of blocker to the business. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think too often people are viewed as a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, not necessarily as an asset. And so, if you're deploying your assets, you want to ensure that you know that 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 you're doing it in such a way that is that is not only making best use of them, but also mm-hmm you know, has a significant impact in value for the client, right? Yeah, of course. And, and, and I think that, you know, sometimes, it, you know, it, when things are chaotic and there aren't the processes and systems to support it, uh, you get a bums on seats mentality, right? And that's, and that's where this, this goes wrong. Um, how have you, I mean, so it, 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 how have you seen in, in this new remote reality, how have you seen the dynamics of staffing and, and resourcing change now are you seeing you know the need for different things given the environment that we work in H- how is it evolving i think there's been a, especially at the moment there's been an acceptance that people need to be flexible uh, both resources and those requesting the resources and um, one of the key aspects is understanding they're not going to get perfect in this instance. I want someone with skills A, B, C, and D. It could be that they've got A, B, and C, and they need to maybe have a bit of a knowledge transfer on D, and that that is something where that is good for us and for the business, because we're upskilling uh, in an area which we need, which there's a shortage. Um, And the demand order understands that there are limitations in terms of where the budgets are. So where perhaps previously it might have been, well, We'll get a con that was probably easier to get approval for. Um, now there's uh, probably more scrutiny on. Well, let's actually find another way to work that is more aligned to actually using our staff better, yeah. training them up more, and is you know ultimately going to save us money because you know contractors in in essence are more expensive and aren't going to be there in most cases for the long term. So you're not actually developing your your talent pool and you don't have that capability afterwards whereas obviously an internal person you're you're giving them development and you're expanding the, the capabilities within your own uh, staff yeah in we we ran our as you as you know you were involved in the in the research a number of years ago the agile workforce research mm-hmm. one of the things that we were exploring was this idea that really this is a talent management like you shouldn't even call it resource management you should yeah i agree with that um and and when you view it through that lens you'll 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 ultimately think about it in a different way and act on it a different way in a business um why why do you think like why in your world is skills so important i'd imagine they're absolutely critical to your to both your internal orders and your customers right i would have thought I, i think it goes back to as i said the um sort of three key pillars of resource management if you've got demand you need to be able to fulfill it if you don't aren't aware of the capabilities of your workforce then how do you know that you can when you can deliver it how it's going to be done or is it going to be on time you're making promises to your customers that you simply can't keep if you don't have that kind of inventory of what your people can do. So it's critical that you have a a system which allows you from a high level view as me as a a lead of a department to understand that I have X amount of people with Azure skills, for example. I can marry that up against the demand that we've got coming in and obviously balance that against the availability to, to see do we need, are our workforce plans on the recruitment side of things, are they gonna meet the demands of the business so making sure we have up-to-date clear 
skills matrix um, for each and every resource or talent, as we will say, uh, in the business is absolutely critical. Um, you know, it allows us the ability to to speak to our clients with with confidence that we can say, if you sign here, we can deliver that by then. Mm. It's as simple as that. We have the people ready waiting to go, not sign here and we're reactory, you know, reacting to we suddenly need to get someone and is that a contract? Is that not? And also certain skills are very, very niche and difficult to engage in the market. So if we don't know that we need them because we're not aware of what our own capabilities are, then we are suddenly going to the market and asking for them to, to pull, you know, rabbits out of hats. Uh, yeah. And again, that, that's a very costly way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, so when we talk about some of these different components, so you've got the, you've got the demand forecasting, you've mm -hmm. got the, 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 the resource management. So the, the, the prioritization, the, mm -hmm. the allocation, right. The allocation and the actual scheduling of, of the work. Mm -hmm. And then it sounds like off the back of that, really, when you think about the workforce planning, that is very much uh, future capacity hiring, contract market that's how you make that distinction is it when you yeah work, yeah work, i think it's uh, probably workforce plan is more related specifically to in shell at least um permanent recruitment so yeah. this is this is what we need in terms of we made this decision based on all that, that information that you've just said yeah. we are confident enough that we have enough work to support um, requisitions for permanent hires. So the other areas are that we, that comes um, as a byproduct of doing those stages that you spoke about in the preliminaries. Yeah. So this is our demand. This is what we're doing. We are now reviewing and actually realizing we've got 20 contractors all working in this space and we have had for the last two years. So we feel confident enough to make a commitment to hire five of those permanently now still want the contract workforce to allow flexibility to change in landscape and dealing with things like uh, corona you need that in your workforce but we're confident enough that these uh, these skills are in such demand that we can commit to uh, offering people permanent positions that we want to grow and develop in the business okay Cool. Brilliant. Well, listen, Guy, su su super interesting. One, one final, uh, I think, brain teaser, and this is, this is slightly from left field. So one of the things, that we, as, as you know, we're, we work a lot with customers that, who, are on, uh, who are trying to implement a platform strategy from a technology yeah. perspective. They have Salesforce. They, they plug Precursive into that, and, and they're typically managing their commercial activities in Salesforce and then resourcing and project management and, and and, and capacity planning and all of this type of work in, in yeah. as you know. Now, one of the things I talk about is, is like that sometimes sales can be very one dimensional, right? We have a sales pipeline, it's X amount in value. And for many organizations, mm -hmm. there isn't a lot more detail than that, right? It's like, we've got this deal yeah. ending. And whereas your world is, as you've described it, is very, very three dimensional, right? Yeah. Because it's like you say, the, the 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 what the who and the when right and 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 that's very that's very, you know one can be quite sort of static and, and one can be very very liquid how do you you know is 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 auto, and in your experience is automation and that single platform piece is that one of the ways that you can solve that riddle because 
for many businesses, that's, that's really what they struggle with. It's like looking at that and then looking at this and trying to marry the two. What's See, what I think is one of the ways that we're looking at moving forward is so is reuse, right? So when we know that there's a project and a lot of projects, so ignoring those that are, are so uh, bespoke, but there's a lot of standard activities and projects yeah. that are that re reusable in terms of both the, the timeframes and the resource model. So if we know that we are delivering X, previously we, that required one project manager, two techies and one PMO, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what we're working towards is having that, it's almost like a job description. You input that into Salesforce, you yeah. want to achieve this outcome, these are the resources that you need. So it's that AI that comes in and then it all flows through the system. So I suppose it's what we're working towards is, is getting that embedded over the next six to 12 to 18 months where we've got the repository of, of history of how we've delivered. Mm. We use that with the AI that then computes and tells us um, what is then the impact on our resources and that gives us it jumps us a few steps ahead in terms of what actions we should take now there's a you know a, a short-term look at it look at it and it says these are the resources you'll need short-term that this is this is the longer term for these projects these are the various avenues we can go down so day-to-day -day operational resource management side of things that shouldn't change too much it should just be that it cuts out the the need for us asking a sales guy to engage with an architect for example to yep. to solutionize what uh, yep. and put some resource estimates together that yep. should be in most cases i think about 70 percent we should be looking at uh, a standardized way of working a standardized resource team that is required and then again we're in that much better position where we understand Longer term, if we, you know, as I've said before, we've got 100 projects, we know that we've got an 80% success rate. So 80 of these projects are going to be um, getting over the dotted line and will need a resource impact. We've now got to that next level where these projects are, uh, say, 70% of them, so are requiring these teams to deliver. Yep. That then tags in again, as what we said, these are our capabilities, these are our existing availabilities based on those dates. Where are the deltas? What do we need to do? What strategy do we put in place? based on this information so that yep. ai is is becoming and will become uh, a major major i suppose the next step in the kind of evolution of resource management and i think yeah um, i hope it doesn't get too advanced because i might be out of a job if it carries on at this rate but and in the way well, that it uh, i think well, it changes the role rather than having to create the data and spend a lot of time yeah um you know gathering information it's slightly yeah. different from one area of it it's uh, it gathers it for you and allows you to to put a strategy in place and tactical solutions rather than, you know, I think before I was working for businesses that had five different data sources that had different terminology, which didn't have any sort of cohesive view on their resources yeah. So and what was required. So I think the AI will look to resolve that and again, allow us to, you know, allow the people who are the smart people at the top to make decisions on what they need to do a lot more ahead of the curve than perhaps what they're doing now. So a lot less reactionary. It's interesting because that's, that's very much in line. It was good to hear because it's validating what we're advising our clients on. We, we tell them, look, think about the 80%. Think about the, 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 when you look at a company's portfolio of work, what you've just described is, is bang on, is that there's a proportion of that work which is more vanilla, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's 50%, 60%, 70%, the mechanics of how you deliver it is the same. Typically, yeah. in terms of the way the, the project plan and the things that you do, 
and the staffing model or the resource plan it's repeatable so it's those repeatable we call them playbooks the repeatable playbooks yeah for project management for resource management because if you can automate a lot of that right you can say look like you say we've got 100 projects we know that 80 of them will close we know that of that x percentage are going to be vanilla therefore we can create those templates automatically and as you say you wouldn't be out of a job because what you'd be doing is looking at the way more complex stuff yeah. in more detail with more time with more care, right? and making that run better because very often that work is the higher contract value, higher margin work, which yeah. if it goes wrong, that's a real disaster zone. Not if you lose a bit of cash on some of this run rate stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And exactly. that's the mindset that people like, I think they, they sort of set themselves up to worry about the top tier too much and they should start from the bottom and work out how do we get this run rate stuff to go as quickly as and easily as possible mm-hmm. and can be managed by frankly, you know, uh, a, a lower level of staff with, with, you know, with a lower cost base with tech enabling that. And then the top tier is, 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 you know, facilitated more than anything else by, by people like your good self. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, and I, what's really encouraging for me is it seems to be that as i say from from seeing the the initial growth of resource management of joining at the very offset and how it's developing um it's encouraging that we we're getting to that that it's it's progressing in a very um much technological way now it's we're moving away from emails and excel spreadsheets and and just being um you know very reactionary kind of business we're looking to add value um in a way that definitely hasn't been implemented in other businesses before and i think that as i said before the the kind of ai that can that is coming into play to support that and definitely at shell is that that's where we're going it's pretty exciting to be part of a business that's so progressive in that way uh we'll if we look back in two years from now uh, two years time um we'll see a massive difference between uh, now and then I, I can really see it changing the way that we operate um massively and uh, i think it's uh, it's um, it's progressing quicker now and then it has done over the last five ten years yeah that's interesting so i think there's a value i think people see the value of it more now i think yeah i think maybe not the last five years say 10 years ago people didn't really understand it i was quite often going into especially when i was consulting and especially in certain sectors legal sector as i said there was a you know an excel based uh, challenges there but um people really understand why it's in why it's happening why it's uh why they need it and how it better supports the profitability of their business you know you're getting more out of your resources for uh, you're getting a more effective use of your resources. You're understanding them. You you can reduce attrition rates. There's, there's many many benefits to resource management. Yeah, it's just getting it underpinned by the right tooling so you can see it. Very good, sir. Thank you ever so much for joining us, Guy. Much appreciated. No problem. My pleasure. All right. Take care. All the best. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye. Yes. Bye.